Now let me explain to you first of all what we're going to do this evening. I used to love sermons that began with words like that. Uh, It meant I had uh, some reasonable chance of understanding what was to follow because I'm sure you have sat in pews at times and uh, listened to a sermon and uh, perhaps been subject to us preachers and we may have been in the mood of the man who, and this was said to characterize most of his ministry, uh, that when he began his sermon, he didn't know where he was going. When he was in the middle of it, he didn't know where he was. And when he'd finished it, he didn't know where he'd been. And if he was like that, then I'm sure his hearers were equally confused. It's always good to know where we're going. And let me just say where we're going this evening is into the Gospel of Mark and the fourth chapter and a very familiar story. In fact, one of the first, if not the first story that Jesus ever told, the first of his parables. We've traditionally called it the parable of uh, the sower. Uh, I thought I'd preach on the sower this evening to give you all a shock because uh, you usually hear it at harvest time. And again, I can say these things when I'm retired now. I feel terribly sorry for congregations at harvest time are people who go around harvest services and who every place they go are usually subjected to a sermon on the sower. The sower is a very overworked man. And yet, his importance to us, I think, is difficult to overestimate. Coming as he does in his story right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's a story that tells us where that ministry was going. Indeed, it does more. It's a story that tells to the apostles who listened to the story where their ministry was going. And even more than that, it's a story that tells to us where we're going in our ministry, what our ministry is all about, and what we ought to expect when we engage in that ministry. Jesus was not one of those leaders who indulged in what someone has called leadership by surprise. He was usually very careful to tell his disciples what to expect. One of the wonders, of course, was that they were so dull of understanding that even though he told them many times about his death at the hands of cruel men, it still seemed to come as a surprise to them in the end. But he was conscious that there lay before them as before him and as before the church a very challenging task. And it was important that he, they, we know what's going to happen. I've had uh, one or two new experiences lately. And I can see now that I've reached this stage in my life where I've just retired, that I'm going to become a bore. I'm going to tell you about my operation. 
it wasn't really an operation. I was in hospital one day and out the next. Uh, but it reminded me of what has happened before, and I'm sure you've had the experience if you've gone into hospital, perhaps for surgery. Uh, when the doctor comes and he sits down beside your, beside your bed and he explains things to you. He tells you what's wrong with you. He tells you what he's going to do and how he's going to do it and how long it will take, hopefully. And he'll tell you what to expect when you've come round from the anesthetic and what to expect during the days of your uh, recovery. He'll tell you even that there may be some, well, adverse uh, circumstances to be overcome. There'll be a bit of pain to be endured. But so long as you know it's coming, when it does come, it will not surprise you and it will not alarm you. Jesus, really, in telling the parable of the sower, is doing something akin to that. He's telling us what to expect in the future. His ministry, as I'll say to you in a moment, was to be, if you like, the parable of the sower worked out in practice. The ministry of the apostles was the parable of the sower worked out in practice. The ministry of the Christians in Kirkpatrick Memorial Church is the parable of the sower worked out in practice. It's a story about the mixed reception that you and I ought to expect as we respond to the call of God to be his witnesses, to be proclaimers of the gospel to a needy world. This parable tells us what's going to happen, what has happened. Perhaps we ought to pause for a moment or two simply and ask, first of all, what the parable says to us about our task, about what our work is. Well, it's presented to us, of course, in, the, in picture form. Jesus says, here's a man who goes out to sow seed. It would have been a familiar sight to the people to whom he spoke immediately in those days. You and I don't have any great difficulty in grasping the picture also, even though times have changed. Here was a man who would go into his little parcel of land and he would take the seed that had been carefully chosen and he would scatter it. He would throw it, as they said, broadcast. And the hope was, and very often that hope was realized that the seed would find a suitable resting place in the ground and the crop would grow. But as I say, Jesus is giving us a picture. And when a little later he explains to the disciples what the story is really all about, he tells them this. The seed is the word. The sower is the one who takes the word, the message. You and I call it the gospel out into that 
world. This is not a literal little seed. It is a more potent thing. It is the seed of the word of God. And the task to which Jesus gave himself, first of all, and the apostles, the New Testament church and the church today, is that simple task to spread that word abroad however we may. We tend to think wrongly, I believe, that one of the chief ways in which it is done is through preaching. If that were the chief way, then we would have a very, very small audience for this word compared with the need that there is in the world. Yes, of course, ministers must preach the gospel within the context of the, the church gatherings. But there are many more ways than that to spread the word. As the New Testament self itself suggests to us, that wherever the people were, do you remember how they were scattered by the persecution that quickly arose? Wherever they went, they simply took with them this message that had changed their lives and that they wanted to change the lives of others. The main method for sowing the seed was simply through the testimony, the loving testimony of individual Christians who had come to know Jesus and wanted to introduce him to other people also. That in all its simplicity and yet profundity is what, what we're all about, what the church is here for, what the church's task is. We are the sower to whom God has committed his word, his gospel, his life-changing message that we may take it out into the world. But here's another question. If the parable tells us what the task is, what does the parable tell us about what we might expect when we give ourselves to that task? What reactions should we look for? Well, we know the reactions that we hope for. We want people to hear, to understand, to believe, and to become disciples of Jesus. That's what we want, at least I hope we want it. That's what we pray for. That's what we long for. But if there's one thing about Jesus, he's a realist. And he tells it to us as it really is. And it sometimes amazes me that those who profess to be the followers of Jesus still like to try to look at the same scene that Jesus sees and look at it in, uh, through much more rose-tinted spectacles than Jesus would ever have used. Because Jesus tells us that the reactions that are to be expected to this ministry are varied. One of them, for instance, he says, is the reaction of what we might just call blank unbelief. You know the reaction. Ministers know it. Ministers who have been asked maybe to preach 
at an evangelistic mission and have preached and explained and broken the word and tried to make it simple and tried to apply it relevantly to the people who listen and it bounces back. There's a blank stare. I don't see it here tonight. Relax. There's nothing. People look at their watches. People shuffle in their seats. People's minds are evidently elsewhere. Or if you've ever had the experience, and perhaps some of you have, of trying to share the gospel, as we used to do perhaps more than we do today from door to door, and try to engage people in conversation, or as some people do when they would hand out gospel tracts, and try to engage people in conversation about the gospel, there's nothing. No reaction except the reaction that says, how, how do I get out of here? I don't want to listen to this. And Jesus says, quite honestly and openly, I'm giving you a task, and this is what's going to happen. He uses the picture, you remember, this is seed that falls on ground that is, has been trodden over. It is hard. There's nowhere for the seed to get in. And it lies there on the surface until the birds come and, and eat it. It's a very graphic picture. And a very accurate picture. And you've seen it and I've seen it. And we continue to see it of people in our world who just don't want to know. But there are other reactions that Jesus says we should expect. And they're more hopeful. There's the reaction that, first of all, seems to say, here are people who are interested, and more than that, who are accepting of the message. But something's wrong. And what's wrong becomes clear as time passes. For evidently, there's not a very deep grasp on the message. There's a shallow understanding and an even shallower commitment to it. And, says Jesus, when hardship comes... People say, I'm off. You remember the story again. This is like seed, he says, that falls in ground where, well, it grows up initially, but it hasn't much depth of earth. The roots don't go down terribly deep. And when the sun comes up and the plant is looking for the nourishment of moisture, it doesn't find any. And it withers and it dies. These are the people, says Jesus, they receive the word with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And that's another thing Jesus was real about. In the world you will have tribulation. 
If you're my followers, you must expect my treatment. Look what they are doing to me. Expect the same for yourselves. But there are some people who evidently come upon this message of ours and who embrace it willingly and count it good news until things become sticky, until friends become a little distant, until acquaintances begin to say nasty things, until loneliness comes. And then they say, I never knew it was going to be like this. I think I prefer to go back to the way I was. That's terribly disappointing, isn't it? And I suppose any congregation can look back over its history and can see people like that, people who have appeared in its pews and their appearance has done our hearts good. And we've said the Lord is doing things among us and before long they've gone again. And then there's another reaction, and it's very similar to that one also. There is, again, that initial acceptance. But this time, there is no continuance for another reason, not because of hardship or persecution, but because something else becomes more attractive than this gospel that people have said they believe. They look around and they see people who do not believe the gospel prospering in the world, getting on very well, thank you, without the gospel, doing very well in business and in their families, doing very well health-wise, and perhaps things aren't going all that well in those fronts for them. And they begin to think of the blessings that this world can give and to prize them highly, more highly than the seeming future blessings that the gospel promises. And when they weigh the one against the other, they say, well, for me there is there is really no choice. The cares of this world, says Jesus, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things come in and choke the seed. In the picture, Jesus says, this is the seed that sprouts and grows, but the weeds also grow and choke out its life. Jesus sits with us and says, this, this is what you're to expect. He hasn't finished yet. There's one more reaction. For he says, some of the seed will fall into good ground. And it will take root, and it will begin to grow, and it will continue to grow, and it will bring forth fruit, as he puts it. 
it will produce something at harvest time. I was speaking to an acquaintance recently, uh, a missionary, a member of our denomination who from time to time comes back home to her home church. And she says, one of the delights of coming home is to see how people have grown spiritually. And Jesus says, that's what you can expect also when you are ministers, preachers, witnesses to this word, to this gospel. Well, here we have it. Jesus setting us out in this task and saying to us now, this is what lies ahead of you. The old Puritan preachers, when they took a text and opened it up and explained it, came to a bit in their sermon where they would write in their, magis their manuscript the word uses. Okay, what use can we put this text to, this parable to? Let me suggest one or two to you. I think we can put it to this use. We can keep it as a reminder as to what our work together and our calling together really is. It's amazing how simple, how easy it is to, to lose sight of why we're here. Someone once said, a minister, a friend, that he would love to have the courage to stand at the door of his church on a Sunday morning and as people came in, said to him, excuse me, why are we here? He says sometimes he trembles at the thought that they might not actually be all that clear. Why are we here? What's, what's the business of the church? Simply this, to, to be sowers, to take the word of God and to spread it. This life-giving, life-changing, life-enhancing, this revolutionary word to take it and to share it with others. The gospel to which we bear witness has lots of implications, and you and I, of course, have to work those implications out. They are, if you like, the byproducts of the gospel we believe. But our simple purpose is to tell others about Jesus. Well, here's a second use that we can put this parable to. We can use it to strengthen us on those occasions when we encounter rejection. Because Jesus simply told us, this will happen. When it happens, our natural temptation is to say we're doing something wrong. And perhaps this preaching of the gospel and sharing Jesus with other people is not really what we should be doing because it doesn't seem to be having any effect 
Dr. Donald McGavran, who was well known throughout the world, really, as one of the leaders of the church growth movement, in one of his books, describes the experience of the church in a part of India in which he was a missionary. And he says it was a particularly difficult place in which to minister. There was a hardness to the gospel, a resistance to it. The missionaries labored, and the few Christians there were labored with them without much joy. But along with their preaching, they had brought other skills. They taught the people, and they applied to them their uh, medical skills also as natural byproducts of the gospel. And the people discovered that these were the things that the uh, Indian people responded to in that part of the world. McGavern says that through time and almost imperceptibly, the mission of that church changed. And the gospel that was receiving no response was more and more pushed to the side. And that other work good in itself that was seeing some reaction from the people called more and more of the resources, the scarce resources, to support it. And in that way, their existence was justified. But Jesus tells us to expect rejection for this very reason. That we should go on through that, doing the same thing, asking for wisdom as to how to do it best, being as wise as serpents as Jesus asks us to be, but nonetheless doing this one thing needful, preaching Christ. And so also when we encounter disappointment, when people give up or what so often happens, remain in the church but are simply unproductive spiritually. When that happens, this parable reminds us that we are to go on doing the same Thing. We are, of course, to expect success, and success of varying degrees. And if Jesus promises his opposition and rejection, he also promises that there will be a good outcome also for the witness to the gospel. This is how it's going to be. The parable of the sower says this. Let's stick to the main thing. Remember the example that the Apostle Paul gave of this when he determined to go to Corinth to preach, that great city, that pagan city. And he knew that the people to whom he preached or would preach fell into two categories. Some of them were looking for a spectacular,
spectacular sermon from him. Something that used words and ideas in a clever way, that teased the mind, that amused, that captivated. And others wouldn't be impressed by that, but would be impressed if he could do the odd miracle or two. That would get their attention and perhaps even their support. And so as Paul packed his bags to go to Corinth, he made up his mind and he tells the Corinthians, you remember what his decision was. I made up my mind, he said, to know nothing among you save this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus in his ministry experienced all the reactions that were put into that parable of the sower. Those whose hardness towards him led them even to crucify him. Those who followed him for a while until following became difficult. Those who, like Judas, followed him until the things of this world proved too attractive. And those, beginning with the apostles themselves, who heard and who believed. The apostles themselves knew exactly the same reactions. That's why I asked Judas to read that passage from Acts 17. The reaction to Paul's preaching was varied. There were those named in the passage who believed. There were others who said, we'll, we'll hear you another time. There were others who were bitterly, bitterly opposed. And you and I, in our ministry, may expect the same things. But know this, that if we do the one thing that we are called upon to do, do it lovingly, do it sensitively, do it in a way that understands we are ministering to whole people who have a whole variety of needs, but if we make the gospel our chief aim, then Jesus says, what does he say? There will be fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 100. There will be good days because that good seed is the seed that he will bless. The parable the sower. Simply a call to us to be faithful and to keep going and doing what he has called us to do. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for those who were faithful in our day and generation and who, although we thought we needed other things, came and told us about Jesus. And we ask, Lord, that we may follow in their train and be faithful also. We ask for those, O Lord, who are without Christ and who think their happiness lies in the things of this world 
or in the absence of pain or suffering or opposition. Help them to see that their true happiness lies in him who is the only saviour of men and who is Lord of all. So bless your word to all our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.